welcome home and welcome to the Mount Carmel Ministries podcast. Today we pick up with Dean Rosted, the president of the Canadian Lutheran Bible Institute, on his series on living out God's mission in every season. So I just saw this. They might put this on the screen. I'm not sure. This is hanging up in the back there. Does anyone know what this is a, a painting of? Yes, the Haugian movement in Norway. In Norway. Yeah, the lay, they, they had a name for this. I forget. There it is right there. The, um, the prayer house. And yeah, this is where revival came. And Haugi was one that went from community to community on foot. Uh, I just heard he would knit as he walked. Yeah, and he would sell what he knit. And so... Uh, Coordinated, yeah, that's right. I can't do that. But, you know, Paul was a tent maker. How can he would knit and walk and, and sell those as he went? But this was going to the heart and people sharing testimony. And so there's a little town called, and this would, this shaped a lot of uh, Lutheran spirituality and pietism. Um, there's a little town called Frontier, Saskatchewan, a little tiny place. They had, they had their church, the Lutheran church, but then they had another building, the prayer house, that they would go to the evening uh, worship services, which would be this. It would be lay preaching and testimony. And they would have these two separate events going on. And so it would be very separate. Uh, my mother grew up in Torquay, Saskatchewan, just across the border, in um, southern. And for there, this took the form of, uh, with intermission society, maybe with LEM as well, but where they would have evangelists come. They would have evangelists going from church to church, and they would come, and, and the pastor wouldn't have anything to do with organizing them. Actually, she said a little bit of a negative. The pastor would be told, the evangelist is coming. Here's the service. It's already planned out. Show up. <laughs> and, uh, and so that was part of that tradition that began here with this lay preaching. It's fascinating how uh, where these traditions came from. The Bible camp, right? Yeah, they started Bible camps. They started Bible schools. This is um, like LCMS, Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, with more German background. They don't have a strong Bible camp ministry because it came from this tradition here. It's fascinating to see uh, the history of where these things started. Pietism also had massive influence on Charles Wesley through the Moravians, actually. And so a lot of the evangelical church today, the Anabaptist tradition, was highly influenced by pietism. So a lot of the Baptist church, evangelical free, Pentecostal, they were influenced by pietism. There was a secondary experience that was important. You learned in the, in the church, you were baptized, you learned what the core of what Christianity was, but then there was this other two to help for your faith to come alive. Did any of you experience a secondary an experience somewhere else. Now we have some microphones too, so I'm going to put you guys to work, purple shirt people, and uh, just so we can hear some of these stories. And so, so what was your experience, if you're willing to share, a secondary experience for yourself? Tom and Mary Holman. Thank you, Dan. Um, we were both uh, baptized, confirmed, Mary in the Lutheran Church, I in another denomination. I guess it didn't come to the heart. And uh, we met each other. We're not walking with the Lord at the time. After we were married several years later, um, someone came. To... Oh, yeah. There was an event. 
an old-fashioned tent meeting. Every that, October, eh? Was, what happened was we be, uh, were not walking with, closely with the Lord when yep. we met, came and got involved in a church uh, where the pastor was influenced by the Haugian yep. Piedmont. And so through that, because of that church, we uh, were renewed, basically. That's the short of it. Thank you, Tom. Someone else had an experience with a secondary experience. I was just remembering the times when Billy Graham used to be around. Um, He would come to all the cities and he'd have these massive crusades and everyone just seemed to be drawn to it. If he was on TV, he were watching it. Yeah. Uh, Dwayne Bell, but uh, uh, when my wife Miriam that just died, she and her husband came to uh, our church in 1955, and we had a Mr. and Mrs. Club with about 15 couples in it at our church, and we used to meet in the homes and go around, and she said, let's start a Bible study. And so we used LBI mimeographed material for our Bible study for several years, about 12 years where we met from October till May, except for Christmas and Easter, on Saturday night, we started Mm -hmm. when we were about in our late 20s, a Bible study Saturday night, uh, all winter. And it was a life-changing experience for us. It wasn't in a separate facility, but it was so dynamic because we studied the Bible in light of our family needs. Beautiful. And, and, and it really was defined our life. Duane, so when I read the, uh, about pietism, those six points that I made, small group Bible study. Yeah. So where that came you know, directly from that. So it's fascinating to see. And also have a, a secondary experience that their, where their faith came alive. One more. I had a kind of a more unique experience uh, though that we were Norwegian my dad had gotten when he in the depression and moved out west and the only local Lutheran church was a ULCA church which came out of the Smuckerin tradition which is kind of a American evangelical sort of thing he wanted us Lutherans to be more Methodist in the ULCA a revival of Luther from out of Philadelphia and um, so things had gotten quite Lutheran in church very liturgical, um, robes and everything, but you would go to Bible camp, and it would be a different hymnology, yep. a different um, way of speaking, and you would have altar calls at Bible, Bible camp. So the two traditions kind of got blended. We had kind of, in church you knew you were doing Lutherans, really Lutheran stuff, and then when you go to Bible camp though, then you would, they actually had a little, a whole little song. Yes. All the camp songs that we called them actually camp songs, and they were about conversion. And usually, sometime around campfire, there would be a a, a chance to dedicate or rededicate yep. your life to Christ. And so, camp for in that tradition was very much part of the um, Pietism. Yes. It's fascinating, and so. These prayer houses 
Okay, I'll go back to Frontier, Saskatchewan. They had this church service Sunday morning, and then there would be a Sunday evening in a different location in town, small little town, the prayer. And eventually they got to the point where people were like, you know what? I really prefer the prayer house. I want the prayer house Sunday morning. But Sunday morning was very liturgical, traditional Lutheran. And so they, and they, they had a good discussion as a congregation, and there were some who loved what they had that Sunday morning. Some wanted that prayer house experience. And so they actually decided, okay, let's just, let's just start another church, you know, and that's fine. And with our blessing, you know, those who want that as your Sunday morning experience, that became another Lutheran church in the small little town. I'm not sure if it was like free Lutheran church because they, they kind of modeled around this or Lutheran brethren, but they kind of had these two churches and they eventually came back together again. But it's fascinating. A lot of that came from this and those experiences. Now, some negative things started to come in there where almost a non-sacramental perspective. Oh, you can't trust what happened in baptism. Nothing really happened there. You need to, have you, have you said this prayer? Have you asked Jesus into your life? And it became, the, the emphasis became on, on that. That was the more, the true experience, the experiential. So there's always dangerous things that can come in there. So now I know that I have been converted many times in my life, and I probably will be converted more as the Lordship of Jesus Christ touches different areas of my life. You know, it becomes alive again. We're like, like this past, oh, well, sure, part of my own testimony later, but yeah, where God was at work in my baptism when he, my parents brought me. And the Evangelical Free Church, when it came over from Scandinavia, um, it, it baptized Lutherans, or baptized children, baptized Lutherans. Uh, they baptized uh, children, and, but eventually that kind of stopped. But it was that tension. But that is part of our history there. But this secondary experience was important. You had the foundation laid, but then for your faith to come alive. Yeah. I love the saying where today's... Here, we'll go back to this monitor, James. Um, today's solutions, or today's problems many times were the result of yesterday's solutions. That makes sense? Today's problems are the result of yesterday's solutions. We were trying things, figured out. Confirmation was developed by Martin Luther because the pastors didn't know the Bible. The people in the country, oh, what a disgrace. The people who lived out there started confirmation. It just kind of into people. And so it was part of the solution. There we go. The word of our God shall stand forever. Amen. The word, the, the seeds that were planted good fruit has come from that and gone forth. I mentioned my students that did this winter camping experience. They were out for three days, for two nights, in the cold, in the snow, learning to come together, to pull together, to innovate, to adapt, to figure out, we got to make this work. And so they figured out how to get their water. Well, there was a pump at the main camp and things, but they, um, and they had struggles. They had to carry one another sometimes. Um, this is a picture of my, some of my beloved students. And I remember seeing this picture. I, it fixed in my mind this picture of them walking back from the camp. They had to hike through, and one girl had some, some knee issues, or, or a guy or a girl that just held her hand the whole way back as they slowly hiked all the way out. And they're like, no, she can do it. She can do it. Like other people were saying, hey, you want to ride in the, in the sled? We'll pull you out. She's like, no, she can do it. She can do it. And everyone made it out. Everyone had challenges and made it through, but the mission was to survive and to have a good time. And they all did it. They didn't give up. And they, when they 
And through that and through the other experiences we bring our students to through, they start to stand up taller in their faith. We did it. There was challenges that we didn't know how to, didn't know how we're going to get through them, but we did. God is with us. So what else, what other challenges are going to come at us our way? So we are raising up amazing young people to be future church leaders. And the generation that is coming up right now, they are innovators. And many of them grew up in cities and towns where the church wasn't the center of society. So they're thinking of new ways of tackling problems as well. I'll call them life hackers, you know? A hacker is someone who takes something and kind of mixes it up and makes it better. And these guys are amazing. And I ask you to trust them as they, they think of, of bringing the gospel to your communities, even adapting things in your worship services. Don't just turn over the keys of the church to them. Make sure you disciple them first. But uh, they are amazing people. I'm bringing the problems that we're facing. How do we actually reach out to this community, do evangelism, and their ideas are amazing. They are a great, wonderful group. Oh, I love them. Here is a picture of an interesting bridge. It was a state-of-the-art bridge built by a Japanese firm for the Honduran government. When built, it did indeed perfectly span the river. However, in October 1998, a tropical storm began in the Western Caribbean Sea. It would soon be a Category 5 hurricane, the most powerful level of storm. However, by the time it approached the Honduran coast, it had weakened to a Category 1 hurricane. Mitch then essentially stalled, and over the next few days sat there churning over Honduras, dumping historic amounts of rain on the region. There were reports up to 75 inches of rain in some areas. That's over six feet of water. Honduras is a mountainous region, and when all that water came crashing down of the mountains and into the river valley, it did it with such uh, ferocity that it literally changed the course of the river. In a matter of days, a perfectly good, well-built, well-placed bridge, obsolete. And frankly, years later, it looks pretty silly there. And so our churches are in a similar situation in some ways, in some ways. I'm, I want you to understand I'm not anti-church. I love church. It has been so beautiful in my life, but we have difficulties. We have some problems. So how does this metaphor relate to the church today? This bridge that was built, that we experienced growing up, because I'm the same age as you, all right? And uh, no, we come from the same era. The church that discipled me and nurtured me in Sunday school and confirmation and Sunday morning, it was perfectly designed for the job it was to do. And it did a great job. And now society is shifting I had a woman that was um, attending, an older woman that was attending a, a speaker at the Bible school. And uh, in the discussion time, she said, what's wrong with me? I loved, they brought me to church. I loved their faith. I, I took it into my own life. Uh, I loved the experience. And then I raised my own children in the same way. And many of them have left the faith. Is there something wrong with me? And uh, my heart just broke as I heard her words. And we were to tell, there's nothing wrong with you. The river moved. 
you know, the methods that we received, glorious methods, they worked in Christendom beautifully. And now some things are different now. So we're going to celebrate this bridge, okay? And, but let me say this, that metaphor of the bridge doesn't totally, isn't totally accurate because it's not like everything we're going to be discussing, some of it still really works well today, okay? So let's just affirm that. And uh, so there, I've heard too many people talk, they just want to throw everything out. No, 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 no. So as we talk about what God used to disciple us growing up, we're going to look for some principles. We're going to look at why those things were important, why they worked well for society at that time. Because if you can get to the heart of it, we have to take those, those principles and apply them to today. Okay? So what was something that God used to help disciple you growing up? Um, I went to Bible camp a couple of summers when I was a teenager. And um, I grew up in a very traditional church and did all the, you know, all the right things. But I realized at that Bible camp that God wanted to have a personal relationship with me. It didn't happen then, but uh, I remember later at home at night asking Jesus to be my Savior. Yeah. Thank you. And uh, thank you for sharing your stories. Uh, so... Is there anything else that you're, you're grieving that you missed? That you're like, man, that was so important in my life and I would just wish that it was that robust today in my church growing up. What else do you miss? What, what was that? The pews being full. The pews being full. And how did it feel, the pews being full? God's message. You knew that people wanted to hear God's message. Yeah. I, I mean, that's the way I always felt. You yeah. Know? And I really missed that. It was like, if I didn't get there at a certain time, it's like, well, you're not going to get to where you usually sit, which I guess we get to be creatures of habit. But, <laughs> but now. Sure, someone yeah. else may sit in it. Isn't that annoying? <laughs> but I just person? loved it when it was just in, and when people would sing, it just resounded in the church, you know? Yeah. And the organ. Because it's what it was built for. Yeah. Yeah. When I was a boy, the women sat on the left-hand side, <laughs> and the, the uh, men sat on the right-hand side. And if you were a child, uh, there were, up until a certain age, you sat with the ladies. And then there was that day that came when you could move over to the men's side of the church. <laughs> when was that? I don't remember, but uh, we got there. Father you know. put his hand on your shoulder and guided you into their, their Wow. It was when uh, they didn't have to be disciplined anymore. That's right. Then they got to sit with the men. Because it was easier. Uh, one yeah. of my memories growing up in the church is it was not very loudly, but there was more of the fire and brimstone type of thing, pointing out your sins, how you're... Nowadays, of course, the emphasis on your forgiveness. You're forgiven for everything, for all your sins. So that's an impression I have today versus when I was growing up in the 50s. So Interesting. Yeah, just an impression. Yeah, and some of those have been a reactionary to, uh, like, some of the negatives of pietism. This is a funny story of my mom. One of those evening evangelist services, and the evangelist who came to town had this little brochure 
It said, the painted face. Because what was it about? Makeup. That's right. And uh, there was an altar call at the end of that night. And she remembers this young woman coming up to the front, wearing lipstick. And he can say, and you can wipe that lipstick off your face. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, and my mother, my grandmother wasn't allowed to play the violin because it was also the fiddle, which was used where? Dancing. And you know what happened then. That's right, okay? So, yeah, so there was a, some reactionary things that happened too, that legalism that was without balancing the love, the gospel. And, um, and I think sometimes, I don't know, I think there's some of that today, that why it kind of swung over to what they, people desperately needed to hear growing up. They didn't hear. Oh, that's, that's where we live, hey? Balancing law gospel. Martin Luther said you, can, you, you deserve a doctrine if you can figure it, balance it out all the time. But yeah, but sometimes maybe we lean too far the other way. Yeah, it's good to celebrate. Celebrate those stories of growing up in the church. Remember my pastor? Did any of you have being the bell ringer? Did any of you have a big bell? Well, my, one of my pastors, Horst Eckner, grew up in Germany, and he, t- he told stories of growing up with the big bells in Germany, in the church. And so he could pull the big ropes, and if it was your job, you know, not just acolyte, but if you could ring the bells, and if you pulled it down, and if you quickly jumped and grabbed the rope, it would pull you into the air. You know, all these stories of growing up in church and just the cultural things. My mom, she remembers going to Bible camp because a farm was work. Farm equated work. Work, work, work. But if you could finally go to Bible camp, oh, for that one week, and she just, oh, couldn't wait for that week of coming to camp. And she remembers going, and she says, and I think we just sat in the chat. You know, it was, it was just Bible teaching all morning, afternoon, and evening. And, uh, but she loved it because it wasn't any working on the farm. <laughs> and I get to see my friends. And that was the community. So this was faith arriving in the suitcase from Europe and, and then continuing to disciple people. And there's outreach as well happening. We're in a different land now, aren't we? It's good we have those memories and we can celebrate it and we can grieve it too. It's important to grieve it. As I mentioned earlier, um, as someone who grew up in a family who's always looking at the positive, can't remember, it's good to grieve I miss that. And when you share those stories with someone, tell them why. Tell them what happened in that Sunday school or that Luther League thing or whatever it was. What, what was Jesus doing deep inside you? Because those are the things that your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren need to hear, how Jesus was at work. So it's not just being in the pew and having it full, but how it felt, just we're together. We're, we are, I'm a part of something that's way bigger than myself. Share those stories. What are some of the challenges that, you're, that you, that your congregation is facing going forward? Lewis and Clark go into the mountain, find that water out to the Pacific, and they encounter the Rocky Mountains. The mission says they've got to get over it, but oh my goodness, these obstacles are, are big. And it's going to require adapting. It's going to require new guides, new training. What are some of the obstacles that your church is facing now, that you're facing? I worked at Messiah Lutheran Church. Camrose is 18,000 people. Messiah was the biggest church in town. 
And when I started working there in 1990, okay? And the peak of their Sunday school and things like that was what, 1985, 87, somewhere in there, they had over, in this town, probably about 200 and, well, I think it was 250 kids in Sunday school and youth in there. That time, I think now if you took all the Sunday school with all of cameras, it might be around that size. And at that time, the high school would call the church to find out what time confirmation was so they could know when they could do basketball practice. God has not left us. You are precious. You are God's favorite. He adores you. And he wants to meet deep needs inside you. He desires that you may have life and have it to the fullest. And as we continue to grow and can voice how Jesus is changing my life, people are going to be interested in that. The people of peace that we read about in Luke 10, they're going to be ready to hear the message. We're going to talk about that. But it's going to require us to go deeper. It's not just, we can't go back. We can't just rebuild the bridge and expect them to come. Well, everyone just came because they came. But if, when God starts to deal with the deeper issues, excited about is, and this may sound very strange, there's an opportunity in the epidemic we're facing in terms of anxiety in young people. Okay? Social media and things and phones have kind of stirred the pot so much. Brains are being rewired and there's just this anxiousness right there. Counselors and universities, they're just booked solid. And, and young people can't cope and even little problems. They're talking to a counselor at a local university and they were like, a, a, a person's coming to them because they can't find their books. And just some of the coping things are, are not there. And so it's just, this, this is an opportunity. Okay? The answer is not, that's not the answer anymore. But how do we communicate the gospel in a way that can speak to what is actually going on deep inside them? And this is where we get excited. I can't wait to dig into that this week. Yes, Barb. I don't have any microphones. Here's a dual microphone man right here. There was a magazine called Mission Frontiers, and they deal with mission tactics. And in India, they have, instead of Americans coming and building a church and converting individual people, where, you know, we're so individualistic, families aren't as important. But there, they would maybe convert one person, and then that person would convert his family in his church. And then whenever that person, uh, one of those was excited in their family, and then they would start another house church. And this one pastor had, was responsible for several hundred house churches. And so if you convert a person out of one family and out of a different religion and a different ethnic and try to make a church, it didn't stay. A year was as long as that kind of a church would stay. Where if you converted a group yep. and they stayed, then that would, that would remain. Barb, you're challenging our thinking. Because I grew up in Christendom. And the answer was, build a church, invite people to come at 11 a.m. Sunday morning. That was confirmation. That's how they discipled. That's how I was discipled. And that's my default. That's where I want to go to. And that's why I need to listen. We need to listen to the church in India and go, what are you doing? Because they, they're thinking outside of the box. And that's why young people, they didn't grow up so much in Christendom. And so they're able to think they don't go back to the default so much anymore. So going forward, and this is very important, 
that beautiful hour, hour and a half that we're together Sunday morning, it can't do all the heavy lifting of discipleship anymore. It can't. It can't give up on just focusing on that. Keep it going. It's beauty. It's worship. The sacraments. It's glorious. It's important, but it can't be everything. As a parish pastor, I believe that sometimes up to 75% of what I did was to keep that Sunday morning event going. It's a beautiful event. It's glorious. I love it. It's in my bones. But it can't do all the heavy lifting when it comes to discipleship. And so we're going to have to, okay, hold your thought. Um, so I encourage you in your churches, it's not just we need better guitars, better coffee, something else to, to attract softer seats, and that's going to... Okay? Now, this week, you are going to be sent out in Jesus' name as part of the 72 as missionaries. And it's going to be, you're going to have to learn new things. Oh, learning new things, no! But God will be with you and he will direct you in it. And as you go and grow and change and adapt and learn things, you need to share what you're learning with the other people at church. And they're going to go, oh, you did that? Lord Jesus, we thank you for these stories. We thank you, Lord, for what's behind them, for the truths that we've received through Luther League, through church, through Sunday school, through the preaching of your word, through around the, the living room, around the kitchen, in the living room, around the kitchen table, Lord. Thank you for how you discipled us. Thank you, Jesus, for the people that brought the gospel to us. We thank you for the Lutheran Bible Institute and all the missionaries that were sent out from that. We thank you for Mount Carmel. We thank you for the movement of pietism. Now, Lord, we stand and the mountains are before us and you call us to there. And Lord, you're calling us to learn some new methods, to listen to some new voices. So Lord, help us to honor our history. Help us to grieve and to celebrate. And Spirit of God, lead us into all truth. Help us to grab those principles that we learned, how it, it grounded us in Jesus, and help us to adapt them and innovate with them so that we may love our children, our neighbors, and the nations. So lead us, Jesus. We come before you now. Just as you called Moses when he was 80, you call us now. Here we are, Lord. Send us in Jesus' name. And all God's people said...